This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 5.08. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Sharad. So first up this hour, um, probably the biggest news happening internationally right now. South Africa is taking Israel to the International Court of Justice uh, over claims that the Gaza attacks amount to genocide. So this is the second of the two-day public hearings. Um, and this is actually the first of its kind at the ICJ uh, related to the, the siege on the Gaza Strip, where more than 23,000 people have been killed since the early, um, since early October. And we are now entering the 100th day on the 14th of this month. South Africa's submission to the International Court of Justice, which was made two weeks ago, accuses Israel of committing genocide in contravention to the 1948 U.S. Genocide Convention, which both Israel and South Africa are party to. Yeah, this uh, case is really fascinating, Shamila, for all kinds of reasons. And I'm going to quote Francesca P. Albanese. She is the United Nations Special Rapporteur on the Occupied uh, Palestinian Territories. And she said it's a historic day for many reasons, but including the fact that it's this case is being led by African men and women. And she says, in the fight to save humanity and the international legal system. And so that is actually part of the optics. The mm. Global South has been extraordinarily um, consistent in its response to what's happening in Gaza and to what the Israeli state is doing. Uh, in contrast, America continues to support and fund Zen military uh, equipment to Israel. Uh, we have... A, a, actually ongoing right now, attempts to bomb Yemen. Yemen, of course, trying to punish uh, Israel for what it's doing, is now under attack by the U.S. and the uh, the British forces. Uh, and also we have prevarication in Europe. I mean, Europe has been appalling in, in dealing with the situation. So the Global South, big victory for them, at least symbolically, in its attempt to hold Israel account. So if we look at uh, the countries and organizations that have backed the suit, uh, South Africa suit, um, again, no surprises, I think, Malaysia, Turkey, Colombia, Pakistan, as well as other members of the Organization of Islamic Countries. And I think if we look at uh, what some of the key takeaways have been from uh, at least yesterday's uh, proceedings, they, um, so as we said, South Africa seeks an injunction against Israel to stop the war. And amongst the genocidal acts that they've brought up include the mass killing of Palestinians in Gaza. Um, and they made reference uh, to the mass graves where Bodies were often buried unidentified. Uh, they also talked about serious bodily or mental harm being inflicted on Palestinians in Gaza. Um, and they talked about how up nearly 60,000 Palestinians um, estimated uh, have been wounded in the attack so far. So you're right that this is this is actually, it feels a little bit like a, a flashpoint in terms of um, geopolitical ties, but also a, a widening gap in terms of uh, a widening gap between the global south and the quote unquote Western countries in terms of values and how they might, might want to view events like these. Yeah. And so, you know, it's often the application of values because there's no end of high minded talk coming from the West about human rights, about democracy, about the, a rules based order for the world, except when it comes to their friends. And so they back a fascist regime in Israel. And I say fascist, and I think in a in a very uh, 
disciplined way because of the of the language coming out of the Israeli government today, which is quite fascist, fascistic and racist. And so, you know, uh, what's interesting also on the other side, because Israel didn't have to participate in this, you know, uh, this particular court case. They decided to because one of the things that happens when you when you are a participant is you get to put a judge yes, that's right. on the panel, right? And so we're going to be talking to our guests about this. Uh, but it's also interesting in the way that Israel has now attacked South Africa Africa, uh, calling it an arm of Hamas, Hamas being the organization that was uh, responsible for the October 7th uh, attacks that precipitated this. But we, we know, I mean, Gaza has been living under siege for uh, more than a decade. Uh, we, we, there's an apartheid system in place in Israel uh, of which the Palestinians suffer. But also they invoke, Israel constantly invokes a European history, a history where Europeans, largely Christians under the sway of uh, German fascism mm. and fascism in general murdered and exterminated more millions of Jews. But they use that same language to apply to the current situation. So they accuse is uh, sorry South Africa. Israel accuses South Africa of what they call a blood libel. And for us in the Asia, we don't know what this means. What uh, it, yes, yes. Right? We were actually discussing how that would even apply in the circumstance. Yeah, because what it refers to is an old Christian a canard. I mean, it was a it was a false accusation against Jewish people that they had kidnapped Christian children and used them in some blood rites, right? So this was so. What Israel is trying to do is constantly weaponize its European history, a history of anti-Semitism by Europeans against European Jews, and you know, and trying to extend it to the rest of the world, and also to justify its genocidal acts. So. What we do know about the proceedings is that a provisional ruling is expected within weeks of um, these hearings um, and that a final ruling, though, will probably take several years. And as you said, uh, Sharad, the court is made up of 15 judges um, and this will include... uh, one judge from Israel and one judge from South Africa as well. We will be joined after this by human rights lawyer Edmund Bond uh, to unpack what this trial um, will do and what we should be looking out for. But we want to hear from you. We're talking about South Africa taking Israel to the International Court of Justice over alleged genocide in Gaza. And we want to know, are you concerned about what's happening in Gaza? What is the responsibility of the international community? You can call 777 send us a voice voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Bias Free Media. BFM 89.9. The Business Station. It is 5.15. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Sharad. And we're talking about South Africa filing a suit against Israel in the International Court of Justice over Israel's attacks on Gaza. And we want to hear from you. Are you concerned about what's happening in Gaza? What's the responsibility of the international community? You can call us. You can send us a voice note. You can WhatsApp us. You can tweet us. Joining us now on the line is Edmund Bond, a human rights lawyer. Edmund, good to have you with us. Uh, Evening. Thank you for having me. So before filing the case, South Africa withdrew its diplomats from Israel. But were you surprised that South Africa is spearheading this action? Are there reasons why they are the appropriate country to do this? Uh, We we, we all know that uh, South Africa had its own brand of apartheid uh, many years ago. And um, I think uh, at that time, um, Israel had very strong ties with the apartheid regime uh, and 
South Africa, um, the current ANC uh, has been uh, in solidarity with the PLO and the Palestinian people for, for, for a long time. Uh, so I think uh, when we heard the South African Minister of Justice saying that uh, we, we need to uphold the rule of law and uh, Israel's exceptionalism and the principles of you know, I, I am because you are, uh, I, I don't see it uh, so much as a surprise. Uh, uh, it is also, I think, a way of saying, uh, look, what the U.S. is doing and the support that's giving Israel uh, is something that really we should uh, be condemning. Uh, it's also a, a sign uh, of the South, the North-South uh, divide on some of these issues. And I think uh, the legal challenge that has been taken is, is really important for the future of, of human rights in the world. Evan, we know that Malaysia is lending support to the South African case, as many other countries are. But could Malaysia have spearheaded this? I mean, what would be the, the limitations on our end, considering that we are uh, officially pro uh, the Palestinian people? It's a very interesting question because Malaysia ratified the Gen- Genocide Convention many, many years ago. Uh, and the convention establishes a duty on all state parties to prevent the commission of genocide. The strange thing is that since Malaysia's uh, ratification of the convention, we have not localized the law. So we have not domesticated the law. We, we have not made it, uh, we have not made genocide a crime under our penal code. Uh, that, that's something that really has been long overdue. So because I think we don't have a legal criminal definition of genocide, while we have provided political uh, support, moral support, uh, our foreign minister and foreign ministry has made statements in support of the case, uh, we cannot really go very much further than perhaps file a submission in the ICJ because we don't even have our own definition of genocide. Uh, And I think... That is something that really is lacking. It's something that uh, we need to look uh, internally ourselves and see whether it's it's really time to uh, domesticate uh, the crime of genocide, the uh, war crimes, crimes against humanity, to really up our own standards. So while we have made a lot of these public statements uh, and many of us support those statements, very progressive, good statements, Uh, We should also look internally uh, to see whether it's time to step up our game uh, and also remember that a lot of this stems uh, from uh, discrimination. Uh, We are looking at direct violence, so we are looking at a lot of people getting very concerned about what's happening in uh, Israel and to Palestinians, but we should also look at uh, cultural and institutional violence that perpetuates uh, racial and religious discrimination in our own country. Now, Israel has chosen to engage in the process, so this entitles it to send a judge to join the uh, court's 15 regular members, and South Africa is also allowed to send a judge to the bench. So why is the court set up in such a way? Uh, so where parties uh, to the suit uh, don't have judges on uh, the, the bench, then they are able to appoint ad hoc judges uh, and both the countries have chosen to appoint judges. I think uh, that's a fair process. There are 15 judges. Uh, I, I think uh, that allows a, a bit more uh, impartiality because there are so many of them. 
uh, and also just uh, to have a sense of uh, fairness, uh, we, we, tr- we have to make sure that the ICJ proce- process looks impartial, looks fair, and uh, is, is going to be respected around the world. I think uh, this issue about uh, having judges being appointed uh, by uh, the state parties has not really been uh, seriously questioned by legal scholars. Uh, and we can see that the court uh, ha- have judges uh, voting in other cases against their own country submissions. So um, the ICJ's credibility and respect uh, around the world is still very high. Edmund, just to follow up quickly on that, Israel could have chosen not to participate in this process, but what, if the, what would have been the consequence of that? Um, you're likely going to be uh, seeing a judgment uh, being given or provisional measures being given uh, without the presence of a party. So in, in the courts in Malaysia, uh, or I think in, in many other uh, jurisdictions, uh, there's something called judgment in default. So if you don't see a party repre- uh, being represented, then uh, you only have one side of the story and the court would likely say, uh, and side with the party that presents its case. So this case, of course, is very political and both the public as well as the media uh, do tend to use the term genocide loosely. What are the legal limits within which each side has to make their arguments? Uh, genocide is actually very difficult to prove. So when we talk about atrocity crimes, we are actually referring to three legally defined international crimes. One is genocide, second, crimes against humanity, and third, war crimes. Here, when the term genocide is used in the court, we are talking about genocide under the 1948 Convention. Uh, It's a crime that's committed against members of a national, uh, ethnic, racial, or religious group, uh, and they are targeted because of their membership. So I think we've heard from the submissions yesterday or today from South Africa how public statements were made by political leaders and military leaders on how they want to erase uh, uh, the Palestinian people and how they're going to do it. Crimes against humanity. So if you, if you can't prove genocide, you'll probably be able to prove crimes against humanity, which has a slightly lower standard. Uh, because it defines, uh, it's defined as acts that are part of a widespread or systematic attack directed against the civilian population. Uh, so I think we see that very clearly. Uh, uh, genocide, you need to show that there is an attempt to erase uh, uh, that population. And then, of course, war crimes, uh, it's uh, a diversity of uh, acts or conducts uh, either against combatants or non-combatants. So we are focusing on genocide here. Uh, the complaint in South Africa's case is on genocide, but the court can also find uh, crimes against humanity or war crimes. And is is uh, w- crimes against humanity a kind of a lesser order of crime? Oh, well, there's no. I, I'm not going to uh, order any types of crimes in uh, uh, against people in such a way. But uh, we are. I'm saying that legally it may be easier to prove crimes against humanity than against genocide. And that's why I think if you look at the submissions of the South Africans yesterday, they had tried to present evidence or preliminary evidence 
of how a lot of the statements made by political leader, leaders, uh, military operations officers, uh, even uh, showing bombings and um, what the soldiers were saying on the ground uh, to amount to genocidal intent. Uh, they would be saying things like, I want to erase the population. I want to uh, uh, kill off the whole village. And that uh, amounts to genocide if it was also carried out. Uh, Edmund, we do have a message that's come in from a listener from John in Denver who says the issue should be looked at purely from a humanitarian standpoint rather than politically. Let both sides stop warring and work uh, towards assured good, uh, work for the assured good for all. And I wanted to get you to respond to that in a sense that um, what does it actually mean? Is it possible to put aside the politics of the situation and look at it through only a humanitarian lens? Yeah, so politics is one part of it. Here, we, we are talking about accountability. And we are talking about not only humanitarian intervention, but judicial uh, intervention based on human rights principles. Uh, so political uh, aside, uh, uh, th- th- those are very important considerations. But if Israel is not going to stop uh, their conduct and actions, then uh, what South Africa has done by going to the court uh, of the UN, the highest court, I think, in the world, uh, to use human rights and to use the judicial process is uh, another uh, possible solution that can, uh, can, can, that can solve uh, the problem. Because uh, we need to remember this. Even if ICJ uh, makes a decision in favour of uh, South Africa, uh, it needs to transmit its decision to the UN Security Council. And if Israel is not going to follow the ICJ decision, uh, the UN Security Council needs to take action uh, to enforce the ICJ judgment. Of course, the problem then will become a political problem because we have seen how some countries in the Security Council has vetoed uh, Uh, decisions or resolutions uh, of the council. Well, primarily the United States of America. Yes. Uh, Very quickly, I want to ask you, there's a distinction to be made between the provisional ruling that's going to be happening in a couple of weeks and the final ruling. Could you explain the distinction? Well, the provisional ruling is something like an interim injunction. So if you see in Malaysia, you have suits for defamation. And then before the suit goes for trial, you have an interim injunction. So you uh, want the, the plaintiff would want to stop the defendant from making those statements until the trial uh, starts. Here, a provisional ruling seems to be like a short-term interim measure because it's so urgent. Uh, we need to get, or, or South Africa wants the court to get Israel to stop its action pending the resolution of the suit. So if... Um, uh, South Africa gets its judgment, gets a provisional ruling. In these type of cases, it's uh, almost uh, uh, quite certain that the threshold for admissibility towards a final judgment has been met. Because this type of cases uh, takes up to two, three years, if not more. You need to present evidence uh, of uh, genocide and of uh, the conduct of Israel. So some of these uh, special provisional interim measures uh, would really be to get Israel to stop uh, uh, the expulsions, uh, provide access to food and water, 
provide medical supplies and basically stop the conduct of uh, trying to uh, kill off uh, the population. We will continue the conversation with uh, human rights lawyer Edmund Bond after this. We're talking about South Africa taking Israel to the International Court of Justice over their attacks on Gaza. We want to hear from you. Are you concerned about what's happening in Gaza? What is the responsibility of the international community? You can call us. You can send us a voice note. You can WhatsApp us. You can tweet us and keep it here. BFM 89.9. Beyond Frivolous Matters. BFM 89.9. The Business Station. It's 5.37. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Sharad. We're continuing our conversation on South Africa taking Israel to the International Court of Justice over allegations of genocide in Gaza. So we want to hear from you as well. Um, Are you concerned about what's happening in Gaza? What is the responsibility of the international community? You can call us, you can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us. And we're continuing our conversation with human rights lawyer Edmund Bond. Edmund, I wanted to kick things off on this side of things with um, a message that's come in from TIDJ um, and they say any findings of the ICJ is a recommendation at best. No legal jurisdiction means nothing can be enforced, but it would serve as a good platform for global consensus. Um, The court decision actually binds the parties to it. Whether it can be enforced effectively or practically Uh, As I mentioned just now, it goes to the UN Security Council. And of course, morally, uh, politically, Israel, uh, if it loses or if it wins, uh, uh, would have one side of the the court uh, uh, in its favor or in favor of Israel or or South Africa. Uh, The the next question, of course, is enforceability and practical uh, measures to ensure that uh, the court's judgments are effectively executed. And, of course, that's the more difficult question because uh, there needs to be political will. But morally and uh, on, on human rights principles, you you have a country, if found to have committed genocide, uh, basically shamed around the world. Uh, Edmund, I've, I've read that one of the problems in the setup, the current setup, South Africa and Israel, is that Israel is, as it were, involved in the party in the conflict, but South Africa isn't. That the courts might be less inclined to ask Israel to halt if they can't ask, for instance, if the analysis is that Hamas is another party to the conflict, and in, in some material sense it is, they can't tell Hamas to stop either because they're not in that, um, you know, setup. Uh, do you take? Do you agree that this is one of the difficulties for the court? So I suggest that if that is the position um, uh, Israel is going to take, uh, and I, I, I think what they're going to say is that they're doing all this in self-defense because uh, there is Hamas uh, attacking them militarily. And then the question becomes: First, is that a valid uh, defense? Uh, is that made out by the evidence? And even if it was self-defense, is it proportionate? Or have you gone uh, to such an extent uh, it's excessive that you're, you're taking away and erasing a, a, a population? So that's for the court to decide. But uh, the state parties, in terms of who is within, uh, who is within those borders and who are operating in those borders, that state party is assumed to have control over that that. 
uh, whoever is in that in that um, jurisdiction. Now, will a loss for Israel at the Inter- International Court of Justice have any impact on the course of Israel's continued attacks on Gaza? Well, I think it would. Uh, of course, there have been decisions that uh, some countries have ignored. Uh, the ICJ uh, has, has come up with a few decisions and countries have ignored it. But as, as I mentioned just now, the, the, there should be immediate impact because uh, when you have that kind of judgment, agencies around the world, countries around the world can use that judgment to to, to, to take a position on its diplomatic affairs, uh, take its positions on humanitarian intervention. Uh, and uh, if Israel continues to ignore it, uh, if they lose, then the question becomes how would the international community react to that, uh, particularly those states that have to date provided support to Israel directly or indirectly. Yeah, so this is interesting, right? Because there's already talk or reports that uh, South African uh, uh, lawyers might take up a case or other lawyers, I think, from other countries might take up a case against the U.S. Is the U.S. in danger of being dragged into this as a, well, another party or complicit in genocidal acts? Yes, possibly. Uh, We have precedent in uh, the ICJ and other uh, jurisdictions where countries outside uh, borders of the conflict have provided paramilitary support, uh, supplied weapons. Uh, the, the case of Nicaragua is uh, uh, comes to mind. So you possibly have causes of action against those countries. And in some countries, uh, and, and you, the US ha- has what is called the Aliens Tort Act, where the victim... Uh, of these crimes can actually bring cases in the U.S. courts, uh, even though uh, the crimes were committed outside the U.S., if the the U.S. entity uh, had been providing support and complicity uh, towards uh, crimes against humanity and genocide. And what about if we see the converse happen? If there's, if it's a win for Israel at this uh, at this trial, uh, is that the end of the legal actions that can be taken against Israel for actions in Gaza? You have uh, the ICJ uh, deciding on disputes between state parties, but you also have the ICC. So the ICC uh, has uh, made uh, some headway where now Palestinians can uh, actually lodge complaints and give evidence. The prosecutor has uh, spoken about opening a file and doing investigations, although it's been quite slow. And of course, I think there is some politics uh, involved in the ICC as well. But the ICC uh, goes after individual accountability. Um, Israel has signed up to the Rome Statute. The ICC is another avenue where if prosecution happens or investigation happens, you prosecute. Uh, individuals, political leaders and military leaders of Israel. And that is uh, an avenue that uh, should also be taken at the same time. Now, Edmund, a lot of, you know, the conflict is also being played out on social media, uh, including, I think, and I've seen recent calls for people to aid, uh, you know, the various sides, in particular the pro-Palestinian side, uh, by either writing to judges or supplying evidence on websites and the links that are provided. What's your advice to the public about um, following uh, sort of social media leads uh, and what should be their sort of general sense of caution when, and it comes to um, participating in these processes. 
I, I fully understand and I support the kind of sentiment that's behind the advocacy to show support for the claim and the Palestinians uh, and, and the South African case. Uh, it's important to, uh, to, to ensure that there's honest uh, but important and truthful, uh, reliable information that goes out there. Uh, to the extent that I think the judges in the ICJ are really experienced, uh, we should also be careful that uh, it should not uh, overly influence the court by uh, external pressure or, or types of duress. As I mentioned just now, there are a lot of avenues where uh, these kind of atrocities can continue to be documented and shared. And one avenue is actually taking up and making the, the submission of evidence and complaints to the ICC uh, regarding the Palestinian uh, uh, cause and uh, the, the, the cases that have uh, been, the, the cases that we see the Palestinian people are suffering. So I, I think we need to be careful about sharing the information uh, and, and make sure that information is verified. But also I believe that the ICJ, looking at the number of judges and their track record, um, uh, would be an impartial tribunal in deciding the case. Edmund, do you have any final thoughts to leave us with? I think it's important to bear in mind that uh, while we are really concerned as Malaysians about what's happening outside our borders, we should also remember that uh, a lot of what is happening in Israel and Palestine uh, comes about uh, through... Uh, an analysis of a lot of uh, weaknesses in uh, institutional structures uh, and how in Malaysia we should also be looking at some of these weaknesses and try to remedy to ensure that uh, there's no situation uh, such as what we see will come about as a result of uh, discrimination and hostility. Edmund, thanks for speaking with us today. Thank you very much. That was human rights lawyer Edmund Bond helping us understand the uh, ongoing trial currently happening at the International Court of Justice where South Africa has uh, brought Israel... Um, to the trial under uh, allegations of genocide. We want to hear from you. Are you concerned about what's happening in Gaza? What is the responsibility of the international community? You can call 777-332-900, send us a voice note or WhatsApp, 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. Beyond Frivolous Matters, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 5.49. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Sharad. We're talking about South Africa taking Israel to the International Court of Justice, uh, claiming that the Gaza attacks amount to genocide. And we uh, spoke earlier to human rights lawyer Edmund Bond to understand the processes that are ongoing. Yesterday was the first day of the hearings. Uh, today is the second. Let us know, are you concerned about what's happening in Gaza and what is the responsibility of the international community? You can call us, you can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us. Um, we have a number of messages that have come in. Uh, let's start with this from Danny, who says, Wow, the level of one-sided allegations about Israel is mind-boggling. It's the same binary thinking that's dominating the narrative. Right, wrong, oppressor, oppressed, good, evil. Shame on BFM. Where's the nuance that you pride yourself on? Hamas must release all hostages. Until then, it cannot claim any sort of moral high ground as a start. Well, where do we start, Danny? So, um, yes, um, and I, I think that in some instances and throughout history, and 
perhaps in your life, you will recognize that there are things that are about right and wrong and are about good and evil. And I think the consensus globally at one point was that apartheid, say, as a system of governance was evil, it was not right, and should no longer exist in the world, right? I think that, that so sometimes humanity as a whole, and sometimes it happens only at a national level, we have a consensus about what is good and what is uh, evil and what is, you know, and so on and so forth. I think that for many people, um, you know, events in this conflict began on October 7th, 2023. And that's just not true. Right. This is a 75 year old conflict. Mm. <laughs> you know, students in University of Malaya, people, activists you might recognize as Hisham Rice were, you know, um, uh, responding in the 70s to what was happening in the Middle East. So it's a long, long conflict. Uh, there is tremendous asymmetry. And I, you can go on from could do a whole show about why Israel is not, in some sense, equivalent to Hamas. And so, the, the, i just say very quickly, uh, Danny, the Israeli line is that, yes, as long as Hamas has uh, these hostages, it will continue to do what it does. But you only have to read what Benjamin Netanyahu believes is the long-term aspiration of Israel. You have to read what uh, his minister, Itamar Ben-Gir, says, um, you know, and it will send chills down your spine. And, uh, you know, the very famous, check it out, the Amalek uh, quote, speech that Benjamin Netanyahu uh, gave, in which he said, do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, donkeys and camels. He, they have, you know, this is the thing about the Israelis. They have, at least this government in Israel, have very explicitly set out their genocidal designs. So I think the the word you used, asymmetry, is actually really important to keep in mind, right? Because for me, the equivalence being drawn here between asking an organization to release hostages and saying that that is equivalent, that an equivalent action to that is to um, decimate an entire uh, area of, of people, of regular citizens who may or may not have any ties to do with Hamas, to me is extremely disproportionate. And I think whether or not you support the Palestinian cause, the reason why there's been so much global outcry over this is actually uh, the disproportionate um, action. For most people, this, this has started to feel like it is no longer about just Hamas and instead seeming to veer into uh, exactly what South Africa is claiming in the trial, that there seems to be a concerted effort to... Um, to attack an entire group or community of people. Yeah, and so, you know, you again, you know, it's like collective punishment, right? So uh, Edmund Bond mentioned proportionality, and that is a principle in engagement, right? Somebody does something to you, you can defend yourself, you can attack them, but it must be proportionate. We went, we've went far beyond proportionate a long time ago. This Sunday will be 100th day of this conflict. More journalists have been murdered in this conflict than was murdered uh, in a very long time. Hospitals were attacked. 
you know, bombs targeting doctors and their families. It is the most extraordinary bloodletting that we've seen in modern history, uh, this, in, in this century. So I, I'm not quite sure where the... Uh, you know, where the nuance is really. Uh, there's nothing nuanced in the situation at this moment. Yeah, in the, in the details, but the general picture, if you have a moral compass, you know what is right and wrong. Maisie says, with most of the rich Western nations not stopping Israel, it's like David standing up to Goliath. It's, it'll do Israel well to remember that David did win in the end. I've also long since learned that the cowboys who rode in to save the day were actually the invaders in the American native land. So the hypocrisy shouldn't be surprising when one learns true history. Yeah, this is very interesting, right? Because Maisie is that there is a tremendous amount of his uh, hypocrisy. Uh, you know, um, it, there is no way Israel should be allowed to weaponize that particular moment in European history where Jews were decimated. They weren't murdered by Middle Easterners, you know, Muslim Christians or whatever. They were Christian Europeans under the sway of Nazism, of fascism, that uh, that exterminated six million Jews. How and why the Palestinian people have to pay uh, for this is boggles my mind. Well, Casey, uh, continuing on that point about uh, the U.S., says, with the U.S.'s continued support of Israel in this ongoing genocide, would nations and people all over the world still see the U.S. as the champion of human rights? Casey, you know, I I do think that that narrative uh, is eroding and and perhaps not just because of Israel. I mean, in the last decade or so, I think uh, various injustices that have been happening even within the U.S. and within their own communities, uh, Mises' example of the history of, of taking land, for instance. But I do think that that um, Gaza in particular uh, has really turned the, 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 the tide in terms of people viewing Israel as any measure of, uh, sorry, what, uh, viewing the US as any measure of what is right or what human rights should look like. Yeah, the destruction of uh, the moral leadership of the US, of the free world, as they love to call it, I think is really reaching its point, uh, you know, this inflection point. And we see that. And this is why it's so exciting to see the global South lead this fight against Israel, right? Uh, South Africa against this, you know, fascist apartheid regime now in Israel. I mean, I'm using words that are very emotive, I understand. But I think at this point in time, it's fair to use them. What? How will Europe pick up the, the, the pieces after this, after their prevarication? Remember, it took Macron, Macron uh, at least a month before he started to uh, sense that was he could not defend what the Israelis were doing. The Europeans have been miserable, you know, uh, and um, in their response, considering, as you say, they set themselves up as the champions of progress, enlightenment values, mm. human rights, the progress of women, whatever it is, right? The diversity. Uh, and they have closed, you know, one eye and shut the others, my father would love to say, you know, when it comes to the atrocities of the Israeli state. Aslan says, I'm so glad that we're talking about this because my fear is that what happened to Gaza is normalized based on Israel's own narrative. We must remember that being quiet about something uncomfortable will be contributing to the problem itself. It's so obvious what is happening and the hypocrisy is clear. We cannot keep quiet about it. Uh, For what it's worth, Aslan, I actually really think that uh, 100 days, we said, um, 
practically from the beginning, um, there has been so much ongoing conversation about this, even on social media uh, amongst young people. Um, and, and I think that's great, right? Because there is such a thing as um, not... Like keeping the pressure is important, I feel. Um, keeping the conversation in the spotlight is important. Um, and I do think that some of this is why we're even seeing this sort of action being taken in the International Court of Justice. Yeah. And, you know, um, you know, sometimes, you know, we wish the killing would stop. Right. And I, I, I'm, I'm pessimistic about that. I just think that, you know, at this point in time, that's not going to happen. But at least we get our moral sense right and we hold accountable those who very hypocritically say that they are for peace when in fact they're funding the war like the United States of America. We want to hear from you. Are you concerned about what's happening in Gaza? What is the responsibility of the international community? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.